thank you so much for being here despite the weather. I tried to do something to make um, the weather better, but there is not much I can do um, at this point. So um, tonight's talk, um, it's Training Women for Disasters, Gender Crisis Management, or Kikikanri, and the Post-311 Nationalism in Japan. And then to start this talk, I want to begin uh, with this very interesting company publicity piece that appeared in Japan uh, several months after the initial uh, disaster. And the story surrounding this PR piece um, went as follows. On September 2nd, 2011, Takarajimasha, publisher known for its popular magazine, printed an, an oversized company PR piece um, in the leading national newspapers in Japan, and it looked as follows. Splashed across the pages of Asahi, Yomiuri, Mainichi, and then other nationally circulating newspaper was the 1945 black and white photo of General Douglas MacArthur emerging out of his plane baton at the Atsugi airport outside of Tokyo to commence his reign in defeated and now occupied Japan. Now, in 2011 in Japan, where the nation was barely recovering from a magnitude 9 earthquake, this very iconic image of Makasa was combined with a caption, Ikunitsukuro nando dem, as you see up there, which means let's build and then rebuild the country, however, repeatedly, where Ikuni would invoke through Japanese wordplay or gorawase 1192, the founding year of the Kamakura warrior regime. Anybody who went through the entrance exams in Japan would actually know the particular gorawase. The Takarajimasha chose to publish this piece on September 2nd, the anniversary of Japan's official surrender to the Allied power, but also that a year happened to fall on the inaugural day of Noda cabinet, whose formation followed the demise of Prime Minister Khan caused by the latter's failure in handling 311. Now, with this initial presentation representation, there is not much explanation, as you see there. However, just a few months later, Takada Jishimashia followed um, it up um, as it reprinted the same image and then caption on the front cover of its signature magazine, magazine Bessas Takarajima, with a series of essays um, focused on themes of Japanese pride, Japanese strength, and then Japanese tradition. Criticizing Japanese politicians' inability to cope with the March 11 disaster, the magazine retraced Japanese history since the time immemorial. It actually went all the way back to Shotoku Taishi, and then praised Japanese people for having encountered but always overcome numerous national crises, so-called kokunan. And then certainly this is very um, startling, but then Takarajimasha was not the only one that was doing this. Just to give you yet another example, um, this is a docu photo documentary book by Sankei uh, newspaper um, company talking about Japanese resiliency flack in the middle, uh, right at the bottom, the critique of the Japanese politicians. Inside the cover, they were talking about the strength of everyday Japanese people and then also celebrating and praising the leadership expressed by the emperor and the imperial household following the disaster. So in the post-311 nation where the power of traditional masculine authority of politicians has been called into question, women seem to embody the very spirit and the resiliency that are being called for. Once the initial shock subsided, women have sprung into actions, traveling to the disaster zones and then volunteering their time and their labor. A new group of experts called crisis management advisors, Kikikandi advisor, have begun to offer women's perspectives and women's opinions on disaster preparation. 
female academics and then policymakers now demand gender co-participation, danjo kyodo sankaku, where women participate in local and national affairs. And there are quite a few things being written about increasing or demanding women's participation in national affairs concerning disaster prevention and reduction. So in the wake of 3-11 disaster, Japanese women seem ready to take charge to build and then rebuild the country, however, repeatedly. Now, this kind of unleashing of women's power is nothing but complex, however, as seen in Remake Japan, an online volunteer project where women would assist victims of the disasters by donating everyday domestic household items and their materials. And then this is their website. What they have to say on this page is very um, interesting and also fascinating. Promoted by women in the beauty industry, Remake Japan sends cosmetics and makeup materials to Tohoku to facilitate the disaster victims' healing, but then also to forge bonds or kizuna across Japan. Declaring that women's power would remake Japan, the project Remake Japan praises women's instinct as mothers and then extols the ability to produce something out of nothing under any circumstance. Um, that's a quote. Women's gently at strong power would surely help rebuild on post three level Japan, they argue. And in the process, the significance of beauty materials cannot be overemphasized, according to them, as cosmetics and makeup materials would assist women in Tohoku, I'm quoting, in regaining their sense of selves. Chika Yoshida, one of the members of the project Remake Japan, sent the following message to women in Tohoku, together with several jars of hand cream, and this is what she said. In the past, Japanese women have overcome numerous crises. Women have nurtured and then protected our nation, Japan. Grandmothers, mothers, and sisters, please continue to protect Japan. From afar, she was in Tokyo when she was writing this, from afar, I would join you in nurturing and then protecting Japan. And I'm going to talk about why hand cream um, just in a while. So in this presentation today, I want to explore um, how women and then domesticity are being mobilized in Japan's reconstruction process following 3-11. The March 11 disaster has caused unprecedented destructions in Tohoku, shaking Japanese society to its core and then opening up what seems to be a new space for people to rearticulate their sense of selves in relationship to the nation under duress. How to assess such dynamics is a very contentious and also complex matter, however, as it often leads to divergent and then seemingly sometimes opposing opinions and then understandings of post-311 Japan. So for example, and then just to give you two examples, Daniel Aldrich states that as a result of the crisis, and then here I quote, a civil society that for decades has appeared weak and non-participatory has awakened, and then citizens are carrying out bottom-up response to the accident, unquote. The disaster has blown off the top of the state society, he points out, setting in motion new dynamics and then citizen protestation and then mobilization. So in this post-disaster Japan then, in his own words, civil society is rising. That's one kind of understanding um, that has been floating. In contrast to such sanguine assessment, Ichiro Tomiyama, uh, whose scholarship has re-examined Japan's modernity from its margins and peripheries, including uh, places like Okinawa, gives a warning about the resurgence of nationalism following the disaster. 
Noting the similarities between the currently circulating notion, Ganbaro Nippon Rise Up Japan, and the World War II era slogan for general mobilization, Okuni no Tameni for the sake of the nation, he observes how the prevailing narrative of disaster and then recovery, followed by reconstruction, reinforces national unity and an allegiance while stifling dissents and differences. As the narrative emphasizes a linear progression from disaster then to recovery and then finally to restoration, it steers people's attentions toward the future while suppressing critical reflection of the past. Obscuring the process, according to him, are the multitude of factors that have led up to the current crisis, among them the symbiotic relation between the government and the energy industry, the complicity of university intellectuals in sustaining the myth of nuclear safety, and then also as a third um, issue he raises, the expendability of the marginalized, and the, by the marginalized he meant on one hand, remote economically stagnant region of Tohoku, and then on the other hand, casual laborers so-called genpatsu gypsies or nuclear gypsies uh, who had been entrapped in the subcontracting system of labor exploitation but then whose bodies had sustained the science of nuclear energy production while also absorbing killing dose of radiation. So while incessant calls for women's participation in post-311 Japan seem positive, if rather unexpected fallout from the disaster at the first glance, women's mobilization in the middle of this call for Rise Up Japan demands some critical reflections. At the confluence of unprecedented crisis, which all of us know, and bottom-up mobilization, which Aldrich points out, and the resurgence of nationalism, which Tomiyama points out, women's participation and involvement in national affairs could not be altogether innocent or uncomplicated. So to explore, to begin to explore, this is actually the very beginning of um, this topic uh, that I'm now uh, thinking about, to explore the dynamics surrounding women uh, following the disaster, in this presentation, I want to take a little bit of time um, with you and then look at a series of instructional discourses and then practices that have been circulating in post-disaster Japan. And just to look at the printed forms, um, there are quite a few books um, out there. The proliferating literature of disaster preparation defines women as the chief agents of crisis management, kikikandi, and then cast their homes as the main theater of defense against dangers. The emerging discourse directs or forces women's attentions into the interior space of home and then entice them to embody disaster readiness through acquisition of proper demeanors and disposition so as to obtain or achieve safety and security against current and then future dangers. And then looking at things like this and then think that these are insignificant or non-political innocuous is one way to go. But I think there are by now enough sort of critical literature out there um, that makes us take these things as a very interesting, complicated political um, artifacts, um, so to speak. So several bodies of critical literature out there help us um, illuminate or help us think about those things as politicized, help us think about the politicized and politicizing nature of the emerging regime of crisis management. As John Barsley and Laura Miller point out in their study on conduct literature in Japan, prescriptions for proper manners and then demeanors for women are always already political as they, and then I quote, as they reinforce the power of particular interest 
whether institutional as evident in government and in corporate manuals or informally in the household, um, unquote. As they argued, the notion of good conduct would also have an effect of naturalizing, and I quote again, gender distinction both as a kind of common sense and then as an idealized view of the way the world should think. And I think this is also the case in the case of prescribing proper or good behaviors in the context of disasters. If any, Japan's modern history is full of instances where large-scale disasters and emergencies have spawned a series of prescriptive discourses that told people, instructed people, especially women at home, to behave in a certain manner. So for instance, as the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake resulted in the culture of catastrophe, the cause of disaster was traced to national regress and the moral degeneracy, and the chief means of recovery came to focus on racial racial national purification, and then also moral restoration. A series of regulatory uh, discourses emerged instructing people to eliminate excess, observe frugality, pursue diligence, and then practice spiritual hygiene. The culture of catastrophe following the 1923 uh, Kanto earthquake disaster was not an isolated event, however, as it was very much part of the ongoing process of the so-called life improvement movement, Seikatsu Kaizen Undo, which advocated modernity, rationality, and then efficiency, and then regulated people's everyday sentiments and then habits and then practices at home. The movement especially targeted women, urging, urging mothers and their wives to pursue thrift, saving, sanitation, hygiene, frugality, and then punctuality as the chief signs of Japanese racial and then national superiority. And then far from reluctant, Japanese women actually turned out to be quite an eager participants in this very gendered national imperial project. Demanding their part in Japan's nation and empire building, female suffragists, educators, reformers, and an activist became willing collaborators. And people like Ashel Garon, uh, Simon Partner, in Japan, Nakajima Kuni, Oyama Shizuko, these people talk about um, this is a site where domesticity and then nation empire politics came together. Now, the link among women, domesticity, and national exigencies was articulated not only in pre-war and the wartime Japan, but then elsewhere as well. So during the Cold War, the US witnessed an emergence of its own disciplinary regime where women's everyday activities at home became one of the central sites of national defense in the face of possibilities of Soviet nuclear attacks. To contain nuclear anxieties, the U.S. Civil Defense Program disseminated a series of discourses and practices such as duck and then cover, nuclear fallout shelters, grandmothers, and then multitudes of other skills and techniques as the chief means of nuclear containment and then survival. And then looking at the audience, I don't think you remember or knew what was happening in the Cold War in terms of the civil defense. So just to give you um, some examples, and then also to show how domesticity was at the center of this so-called Cold War containment culture, let me show you several posters. One civil defense poster declared, good clean housekeeping is civil defense housekeeping, linking women and domesticity and nuclear survivability in one sweep. Reducing a nuclear disaster to a bad case of fire, it instructed women to clean their homes as a means of containment and then survival. 
Another poster, which is a very uh, famous one, at least the language that went with it was a very famous one. Grandma's pantry belongs in your kitchen asked, is your pantry ready in the event of emergency? And then urged women to stock up emergency food supplies to prepare for nuclear disasters. And yet another poster from the Cold War US, Home production exercises emphasize the centrality of family in nuclear survival as it illustrated various domestic chores each family member should pursue as part of civil defense. And then as Cold War gender scholars in Cold War culture, particularly um, scholars on gender and then Cold War culture, repeatedly point out all these um, civil defense exercises, discourses and practices contributed to so-called militarization of domestic sphere in the Cold War US because it transformed, turned home into a main site of defense where women were at the very center of it all. And yet another place where domesticity, militarization, national ex exigency, all these things came together was actually Cold War Okinawa, which I'm looking at right now. So there is actually a connection among all these seemingly disparate things um, that I'm mentioning today. So as I'm going to talk about for the rest of my talk today, the gendered gendering dynamics observed in pre-war and then wartime Japan, and then also the Cold War US are now being recirculated in post-311 Japan, where the containment of national crises, which involves, among other things, nuclear crises, is being linked to the containment of women in a home to articulate so-called disaster nationalism with its own unique contours and then content. So exactly what is happening in terms of all these literature that is out there that talks about women's crisis management and then family and then more broadly nation. In post 311 Japan, talks of disaster and then crisis management proliferates. Website instructional manuals, public lectures and training workshops instruct women on how to prepare for and then survive unpredictable disasters and then catastrophes. Those literature that I showed you earlier, Barbara and I were just talking about this, comes with lots of illustrations, hand-drawn illustrations, most of which talk about family disaster preparation, but they only portray mothers and then children. They might as well be single mother households, but nevertheless, that's the kind of pictures that are being circulated. Um, where did I go? Frequently authored by crisis management advisors, the instructional manuals, materials bear titles that mark the centrality of women, especially mothers at home in crisis management. So for example, one title reads, 50 ways to protect children from great earthquake, and of course it's mom's role. Disaster prevention and reduction handbook, building a home to protect your family from magnitude seven earthquake. Again, family is very important. And then finally, and I just learned this is circulating. Um, uh, uh, mother's mission in protecting children from nuclear containment. Now, when you look through all these disparate literature that is out there, there are about three recurring or overarching themes in this newly emerging discursive field. One of them, the basic tenet of disaster preparation that is most salient perhaps, is that disaster preparation is not if, moshimo, but always itsumo, where women should be ready for any emergency at any moment, at any location. 
As argued by Katsuya Yamori, who is faculty member at Kyoto University and one of the leading authorities on crisis management at the moment, he's very popular at the moment. In order to contend with large-scale disasters, the disaster prevention lifestyle, seikatsu bosai, must be cultivated where disaster management awareness as well as practice should inform and then also transform every aspect of everyday life. So one thing that is required, a recurring theme, is this constant readiness on the part of women. The second theme, equally important, is the notion that the Japanese society is now permeated with countless risks and crises, especially for women. According to a popular women's magazine, An An, and I'm sure some of you, at least if not all of you, read An An once in a while, um, according to a popular women's magazine, An An, Japanese women are now surrounded by serious crises, onna no kiki including, for instance, unemployment, illness of parents, depression, cancer, and the worst crisis of it all, singlehood. The notion of pervasive insecurity is also elaborated in a textbook published by Hoso Daigaku, the Open University of Japan, titled Life and Then Risk, in which each of the 15 chapters explains a type of risk or hazard one would encounter during his or her lifetime. So pervasive insecurity is yet another very um, strong circulating theme out there. Now, the third theme, notwithstanding the serious and pervasive nature of insecurity that now engulfs Japan or envelops Japan in preparing for risks and then crises, it is first and then foremost individual self-assistance in Japanese word jijo, and then to a lesser degree neighborly assistance kyojo, that matter more than anything else, not, never, assistance provided by local or national government entities, which is called ankojo. Using the terminologies jijo, kyojo, and then also kojo that have also circulated in the national debates on social security and social welfare, including discussions about elderly care, the current regime of crisis management portrays a crisis-ridden society where individuals and their immediate families and community must take chief responsibilities while the accountabilities of the state would recede into the background. So it is within these discursive um, contexts that Japanese women are now urged to prepare, plan, and then practice for a multitude of risks and disasters and then emergencies. So what exactly are they being told? There are about five themes. There are, of course, more than five. But there are about five themes that I want to um, talk about and then highlight today. And then first and then foremost, what's important is what happening, what's happening at home. In preparing for large-scale disasters, these um, disaster crisis management literature um, tells its readers, maintaining an orderly home is considered as most crucial. In large-scale quakes, it is household items that could turn into killing weapons or kyoki. And whenever they talk about household items as the source of um, serious damage, they rarely talk about, for example, nuclear meltdown. Heavy furniture could come down and block escape routes. Worse yet, they could fall down to hurt, harm, and then even kill. To minimize potential risks at home, women must secure furniture onto floors, walls, and then ceilings with screws and then hinges and metal chains. But that is not really sufficient as a um, crisis management reduction measure. In addition, they are told, the number of household items should be reduced and then excess be eliminated since these excess materials, if left scattered, could pose serious impediments in the event of evacuation. So simplifying or rationalizing one's lifestyle is crucial. 
Every space inside one's home, be it entrance, hallway, or bathroom, must be inspected, cleaned, and then made disaster-proof. And the women are urged to pay meticulous attention and minute attention to those things inside one's home. Broken glasses and then china flying out of the cabinets could be as dangerous as falling furniture as their sharp edges could inflict serious and even fatal injury. Therefore, placing liners with rough surface on the shelves within one's cabinet and then also stacking up cups and then plates and bowls in a disaster-resistant manner, as you see here, is a crucial safety measure. And then Kunizaki Nobue Nobue Kunizaki is once again one of the most popular uh, crisis management advisors at the moment, shows up in the NHK and then so many other programs, and then giving a talk at various disaster training uh, sessions up and down um, the Japanese aisle. They don't come to um, Okinawa, though Okinawa is trying to catch up in this regard. Now, arguments such as this is certainly reminiscent, especially with the focus or emphasis on simplification, um, life improvement movement, but also it is reminiscent of Cold War civil defense discourse that circulated in the post-war U.S. So, for example, and then just to give you one example, as seen in the 1954 documentary film, The House in the Middle, that was the title, produced by the Federal Civil Defense Administration, it was the house in the middle, free of rubbish, cleaned and unordered, and and then painted white that withstood, according to them, the power of nuclear detonation, unlike the other two houses on the left and then right, which were out of order, full of litters, and then painted black, and therefore easier to catch fire, and therefore you're not going to survive. So in order to survive, you have to have a clean and an ordered home. Quite an onus for women. Now, once waste are removed, and then household items are properly organized with them, Japanese women must then proceed to mobilize the entire family, including pets, especially dogs, to be disaster ready. Acquisition of proper techniques through repeated drills and then exercises, that is to say through rehearsal, is therefore considered crucial. As part of parent-children disaster training, Oyako Bosai, women are now encouraged to involve children and then husbands in a disaster training picnic, Bosai Pikniku, Disaster Training Camp, Bosai Campu, and then Disaster Training Play, Bosai Gokko, where family members would learn through repeated practice how to cook with emergency canned food, sleep in a tent, and make do without water and then electricity, and then so on. Preparing for unknown and then unforeseeable dangers entails embodied practice, bodily engagements, and then requires mobilization of the entire family. Now, the process of transforming home into a site of defense and cultivating proper bodily behavior is assisted by, by now numerous, disaster management fairs and then events, so-called Bosai Kunen, that's um, been taking place. Frequently advertised as family-oriented and then children-friendly, these fairs and events involve all sorts of programs and activities, some of which suggest a not-so-subtle link between disaster, disaster management and the military, that is to say Japanese self-defense force, whose popularity has experienced a significant rise following the Operation Tomodachi, as Richard Samuels, among other people, point out. So disaster management fairs and events have indeed been increasingly infiltrated by, or at least becoming inseparable from, military culture in a manner that often seems innocent and then innocuous at the first sight. 
So at the disaster training fair in the city of Nagaoka in the Niigata Prefecture in 2012, children were enticed to ride Japanese Self-Defense Force vehicles and then put on uniforms of Japanese Self-Defense Force personnel, firefighters, and then policemen to take pictures, and then girls are involved in that as well. On one weekend in January 2013 at a facility located in the Tokyo Rinkai Disaster Prevention Park, if you have not been there, please do go. It's a very interesting place. A series of disaster prevention activities were held, including a photo session where children accompanied by their mothers would put on uniforms of the Metropolitan Police Force and then have their pictures taken against the banner which read in part, let's protect our town from terrorism, making a link among crisis management and securitization more than implicit. And then there are lots of children um, outside the picture um, huddling around the case show people and then putting on all these uniforms. And then I was actually there. So as crucial as making home disaster ready and then training family in proper behavior is a matter of stocking up emergency provisions at home. So moving from talking about domestic space to actually domestic objects. Women are urged to create a list of household items necessary in disaster situations and then buy stock and then replenish them, creating their own version of grandma's pantry in post 311 Japan. Among various emergency canned and then dried foods sold at stores and then also online shops for disaster preparation is a significant number of military ration food or its modified version adapted for civilian consumption as you see on the screen. The one on near which side, the right hand side, is very interesting in terms of gender and also sexualized representation against the camouflage background, Japanese female self-defense force, very infantilized kind of um, representation, and it is is very hot, as you see at the bottom. Now, this is taking place within a larger cultural context where there has been sustained interest in so-called mirimeshi, or military food or military diet, as reflected in various publications and websites that introduce military food and the food culture to the general public, so literally domesticating um, a military. A linkage among disaster management, domesticity, and then militarization, in addition to securitization that I mentioned earlier, therefore, once again, is not so subtle. Now, food and then food preparation indeed constitutes one of the central topics in this emerging regime of crisis management. Various books, website, public lectures provide instruction on disaster prevention kitchen techniques, as you see here, daidokoro bosaijutsu, offering sample recipes as well as suggestions about how to improvise pots and then pans and then other basic kitchen utensils. Um, this one is actually a very interesting artifact because it's published by Nobunkyo, which is the uh, um, Royal Cultural Association of Japan, which has had a long-standing um, involvement in disaster, not disaster management, life improvement um, movement since 1940. It's written by a mother and then daughter pair, um, both of whom are um, culinary um, experts. When you open this book, they have these beautiful pictures of the food presented wonderfully with very complicated recipes. So far, I've been discouraged from trying in my own known disaster kitchen. So um, you can sort of go and then figure. Now, rarely do these instructions address men as the target audience. 
food preparation continues to be one of the chief responsibilities for women whose significance is magnified in the context of disasters and an emergency. Why? Because kitchen is an area, according to them, of central significance in crisis management, where women's successful execution of their duties, that is cooking, plays a key role in facilitating recovery and then also, more than anything else, restoring normal lives as soon as possible. However, in post-311 Japan, stocking up food at home is not sufficient as a safety measure. You have to do more than that. Selecting truly essential items and then stuffing them into emergency bags or hinambukuro constitutes yet another very crucial task. With more and more women demanding women's perspectives or women's special needs in disaster management, the instructional manual suggests that emergency bags should also reflect women's special needs and then concerns. A popular women's magazine, Anan, once again, but then this is a different issue, um, dedicates its entire um, special issue, partly titled in English, Girls' Life Skill, to creating a list of items women need to have in their emergency bags, including number one item, the most important item women have to have. Would you like to guess? No, hand cream is in the list, but it's sort of way down. Tampons, sanitary napkins, yeah. Okay, so um, sanitary napkins followed by disposable lingerie, portable washlet bidet, deodorant sheets, cosmetics and the makeups, and then also importantly, hand mirrors. An emphasis on maintaining bodily hygiene, eliminating odors, and then keeping complexion. Concern with women's facial complexion is so paramount that Anne Anne even instructs that women keep a hat and a mask in their emergency bags as they could become handy in covering up their bare faces, spinokao, at evacuation centers. So by all means, female decorum and then propriety should be um, kept intact. Repeatedly, as you suggested, hand cream, the cream stuff is very important. All-in-one cream is recommended as an indispensable item as it could help cut down the number of cosmetic items women have to carry in the emergency bags. But also, it could be used in combination with plastic wrap, another essential item you have to have, as it could be placed over women's face to keep moisture and then rehydrate. Women's emergency bags are often pink in color, and then bearing flower names such as tsubaki, shakuyaku, and then nadeshiko, further reinforcing gendered distinctions between men and women. They quite often recommend different weights for men and then women. So if men are to carry 15 kilograms, women must carry 10 kilograms. It's never um, the reverse. Um, so in post-311 Japan then, managing disasters goes hand in hand with regulating women's bodies where proper, that is to say clean, clear, and then carefully groomed bodies are skillfully maintained and then regularly checked with mirrors in hand. They actually recommend that. Women are twice contained, first inside their well-ordered homes and then in their own self-regulated bodies. Now, such disciplining of bodies must go hand in hand with disciplining, of course, of hearts and the minds. 
So the instructional manuals offer all sorts of techniques women can use to maintain emotional balance in the context of crises and then emergencies. So cosmetic materials and then hand mirrors are not simply about female vanity. They are tools, essential tools, in, uh, for emotional self-regulation women um, should pursue in the face of unfathomable crisis. So the kind of things they talk about is women should just put on makeup and then look at the mirrors and then feel normal. Or women should just look, uh, gaze at their own face in the mirror and then smile at themselves and then feel happy and then you'll be okay. That kind of um, things one can do as an extension of everyday practices within the extraordinary um, time is one of the recurring theme. It is especially important in the case of it is especially important to maintain emotional balance in the case of nuclear crisis. They argue, large-scale nuclear accidents such as the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plants would invariably and inevitably induce fears and anxiety. However, they argue, such emotional challenge could be overcome by crying. A crucial technique of kokoro no osoji, cleaning one's heart, whose domestic reference to cleaning or osoji immediately invokes another method of disaster preparation, house cleaning that I mentioned earlier. Managing hearts and their minds, kokoro no kandi, is a crucial part of managing crisis, kikikandi, where proper regulation of emotions would lead to successful containment and survival in the face of earthquake, tsunami, and then even nuclear crisis, or so they argue. So the final theme I want to um, talk about is going back or returning to Japan's tradition, which is actually the theme with which I began my talk today. So I want to go back to what I started with and then elaborate farther. Father. So as women are urged to mobilize every aspect of their lives for disaster preparation, both bodies and then hearts and then minds, it is people's ingenuity and then inventiveness that would in the end offer crucial and then perhaps most reliable sources in crisis management, they are told. Japanese tradition and folkways or senjin no chie, and then certainly chie is another circulating word uh, nowadays, has emerged as a vital source of knowledge in containing disasters, sustaining lives, and then restoring the nation. The crisis management discourse repeatedly points out that a traditional domestic items such as Japanese washcloth, tenugui, can be used for multiple purposes and then is therefore essential in all disaster situations. At a training session at the Tokyo Rinkai Disaster um, Prevention Center that I mentioned earlier where kids were taking pictures against the banner about the terrorism, a female speaker dispatched from this one very interesting center called Dakoto Ombu no Kenkyujo, which has been becoming very popular uh, since the disaster, and then sending their lecturers to give lectures on how to do child caring, especially infants, in the context of disasters. A female speaker from there emphasized the importance of traditional child rearing practice as a key to saving children from disasters, demonstrating how to hold an infant on a woman's back with the use of traditional long cloth or a sarashi. And we'll all have to try with the nuigurumi how to um, hold the babies. Japanese food culture, washokubunka, constitutes another source of wisdom and then technique, a traditional method of food preparation called yudekoboshi, where women first boil produce but then later discard water and then use the boiled item, is recommended as an effective method in dealing with nuclear radiation and then contamination. And then some even argue that because Japanese bodies have traditionally been consuming seaweed, Japanese bodies are naturally resilient or resistant to nuclear radiation. 
Indeed, Sakamoto and Sakamoto, these two female authors who wrote a book published from the Nobunkyo, as they suggest in the book, Disaster Prevention Kitchen Technologies, to cultivate cooking techniques and repertoires necessary for disaster situation, or in order to do that, one must simply return to the past. That's what they recommend. In order to prepare for disasters and emergencies, they suggest, women should look into the domestic lifestyle from long ago, mukashi no kurashi, in which modern domestic conveniences, gadgets, and objects were not yet available, yet women still managed to do. Recalling what it was like merely 40 years ago, that's their word, in Japan is more than a sufficient measure in preparing for various disasters and crises, they cheerfully point out. Cultivating a bond, so once again bond, cultivating a bond, kissing up with farming families outside urban centers of Japan is another measure to take, as food is always abundantly available in rural agricultural communities in Japan. Japanese women then must recover and then rediscover one's home away from home, furusato, as a way to prepare for unknown and then unpredictable disasters. In post-311 Japan then, grandma's pantry of Japanese version is fused with a nostalgic look back to Japan's long lost past, whose recuperation constitutes a crucial component in crisis management and then disaster preparation. So these are some of the themes that I sort of pulled out by looking through um, quite a few number of books. Um, that are being sold and also website um, actually participating in disaster crisis training, uh, so on and so forth. So just to sum up and then open it up to a question and answer as well as um, discussions. So in this presentation, I have begun to attempt it to try to explore the ways in which women and in domesticity and the national recovery are being linked with each other to articulate post-disaster nationalism within which things like militarization and securitization also play not so insignificant part. Faced with the triple disasters of earthquake, tsunami, and a nuclear crisis since March 11, 2011, Japan has pursued, it seems, its own strategies of containment, whereby fears, anxieties, and uncertainties triggered by the unprecedented crises are being partially resolved or contained by mobilizing women in a home as the central site of national recovery and their restoration. Following the spectacular failures of Japanese leadership, political leadership on the one hand, and the scientific communities on the other hand, women are now straddled, straddled with responsibilities of fortifying domestic space, running disaster drills, stocking emergency provisions, and disciplining bodies and the minds of their own, as well as their own members. And then with the suit of this mounting criticism or suspicion about the science, it's very interesting, so many people are talking about Chie or Senjin no Chie, and then Jutsu, and then Waza, um, all these things as a part of this going back to Japan's past theme. As women pursue the project of remaking Japan, they come to play a central role in articulating disaster nationalism, whose contours and then content share many similarities with past instances that I mentioned, and then whose attempts at remaking Japan seem to be proceeding in a deeply troubling and then also unsettling manner with home at its very center. So that's what I have um, prepared for today. There are, of course, tons more um, 
pictures, and I really have to force myself to cut down the number. It's very interesting and it's very instructive. Not only the text that's being written, but then the pictures and then the visuals um, that proliferate um, across um, these different genres of literature, partly because I think they're concerned with the children. There are just so many space for the uh, visual representation. But anyway, so that's what I have prepared for today. And shall I open to? Yeah, well, questions. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome.